This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. This podcast is a Believe Network and Luciete production. Another edition of the D. Lewis Podcast brought to you by Believe Network. I'm your host, Derek T. Lewis. And before I get started, you know, for all of us that are in the Northeast that's experiencing um, all the smoke and thick overcast due to the wildfires that's taking place in Canada that's drifting all the way down to us, you know, everyone just stay safe. And um, I know we've been through some tougher times than this, so um, let's just push it forward and um, brighter days will definitely be ahead. But I'm not going to hold you up too much longer. I definitely want this interview to uh, get started. You know, this guy that I am that I have this week, you know, he and I started in pro wrestling around the same time back in 2018. And yeah, you can basically say he and I grew up in wrestling together, even though there's a huge age gap between uh, me and uh, Bobby Buffet. And this interview was so much fun. You know, you really get, get to know a lot about him. You can see him. And a host of us on the docuseries that you can see on Apple TV Plus called Monster Factory. So again, you got to learn a whole lot about Bobby Buffet, both the man and also the professional wrestler. And let's not wait any longer. My interview with the all-hungry Bobby Buffet starts right now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to have this man on the show. I met him back in 2018 when I first got started at the World Famous Monster Factory, when I first got started in wrestling. Now, although there is a huge age gap between he and I, I always felt that he and I grew up in wrestling together. He and I literally grew up together in wrestling. And that's not a, a slight on me. That's just that's an honor for me to say that about this man. He is one of the stars of the docuseries you can see on Apple TV Plus entitled Monster Factory. Now, his family and loved ones, especially his mom, knows him as Hurley Jones Jr. But to the rest of us, he's the all-hungry Bobby Buffet. Welcome to the D-Loop Podcast. How are you, man? Dang, you know what? It's crazy that uh, your introductions never like cease to amaze me, whether in the <laughs> ring or doing a podcast. I love it. Awesome, man. But like I said, we're not in the ring. We're just we're just um, two guys just chilling like we do always in the locker room, man. So this is just no, no different, man. So... You know, you and I grew up in the same area, basically, just, just just maybe 20 minutes south of me. So tell me about life growing up in Plainfield, New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know how that go for people who don't understand, like, you know, the difference between like 
I don't know, like hood suburbs and, and regular people suburbs. It's totally different. I mean, we got the city life, all the people, but, you know, like five times the violence, you know what I mean? So, <clears throat> I mean, growing up, it's like that Meek song, uh, Championships. I like, I love that song mm -hmm. because they give real big introspect into what, you know, people like us got to go through on a daily. We had to beat the system. We got to beat poverty. We got to beat racism. We got to beat all this stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and and the system play into where we, you know, where we had to grow up at. Because, like, you know what I mean? We ain't have nothing. Our educational system in the garbage. You know what I mean? Nobody there got aspirations to do nothing but be on the street. That's all the stuff that's around me. You know what I mean? They don't have too many like positive adult figures on male or female around, you know what I mean? They don't care about nothing, but just make you a worker bee, basically, you know, mm -hmm. ready for the, ready for either the field or the other field, you know what I mean? Where you drilling or killing and all that stuff. Right. Right. No, I totally understand. You know, like I said, I grew up in Newark and I mean, it's basically, it's either one or two paths you could take, you know what I mean? So I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. So thanks. absolutely. So, Talk about schools, you know, grow, you know, during those during those years, those early years, you know, growing up in Plainfield, as far as like school and sports, and how you kind of gravitated towards athletics. Yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I didn't really do too many sports. I, I was, I was, I, like, I couldn't, I couldn't get along with people in the city because, like, you know, it's it all. It wasn't where like the kids my age wasn't worried about sports. Some of them. You got some kids who did sports like football and stuff. I was too mm. big to play football when we were younger. You know, they got their weight limit for Pop Warner and all that stuff. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Um, so I was really just chilling. I mean, I was a wrestling fan, but you can only go so far with wrestling when you were a kid. You know what I'm saying? You can't there's nothing in the city that do wrestling or anything like that. Um But when I got to high school, my sister forced me to join the football team mm -hmm. and I got into that and that was it was it was good because it was easy for me. I was strong already. I was, you know, working out. I had a good system going. Mm -hmm. um, I started to get into other sports like track. Uh, I played basketball for a little bit, bowling, did discus shot put and all that stuff. And I I like the popularity I was starting to get from doing sports. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, it was cool. But then um, you know I got I got I got scholarships and. And all that stuff, but I didn't take them because I wasn't feeling college. You know what I'm saying? Like, just being in that environment. It was like, I didn't want to be in high school a while. I want to go to college. Um, so then I started playing semi-pro. Mm -hmm. Semi-pro football. I did that for a year. And then I realized, man, you know, like, I'm doing all these sports. I'm good at it, whatever, athletic. But, like, you know, I'm not doing what I really want to do. You know? So I came into I ended up finding the Master Factory from there. <clears throat> wow. Starting getting a plan into action, yeah. So so you said you had scholarships. So what school do you know, remember what schools made you some offers and what sports did they offer you those scholarships? Yeah, it was all football. Um, scholarship, I got a scholarship to Georgetown, um, Sacred Heart, football. Those were the D1 ones. Uh, a couple NAIA, wow. yeah. I was like, you know, everybody was so excited for me. It was like, oh, I want you to go to go to college and play. I, I didn't want to go to college because I just, I already knew what I wanted to do 
essentially. Like I had an idea and nothing that I wanted to do had anything to do with college. You know what I mean? It was like, to me, it was just more like a waste of time. It would have been a waste of time, money and energy. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, those places I got, you know, Southwestern and Texas also. I got um, Muhlenberg and PA, but those were D3, so I wasn't worried about those. Right. And what, and what position do you play? I played D-tackle uh, all four years until my senior year. I had to play guard, too, because somebody got injured. And I was starting on both sides of the ball. I never even paid attention to the offensive side of football until uh, <laughs> bro got injured, and they just threw me in there. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? I don't do this. <laughs> right, 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 right. Totally different uh, vernac- you know, vernacular and it's things you have to learn on the fly and everything, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's different. But the good thing, like the one thing I liked about being a lineman is that like at the end of the day, it's just a dog fight mm-hmm. every single time. You know what it's I mean? And, and that helped me a lot. Yeah, like getting some of the pent up, like, you know, stuff I had in me, like, you know, dealing with everything, home life, trauma, all that stuff. Right. Uh, that helped me get that, express that anger or, you know, let out that anger. That was my avenue. So I like football, tackling people. It's just straight dog <laughs> fights, you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. yeah wow. I made a way out of it. So you, you mentioned about the Monster Factor, and we'll get to that in just a second. So when was it, what age did you discover pro wrestling? You know, obviously on television, I would imagine. What mm-hmm. age, and obviously there was only, main, especially the age, you, the time you were coming up, there was only one promotion that was around, obviously, WWE. Yeah, so mm-hmm. what time period was it that you kind of had your eye on it? And how'd you, how did you get hooked, as, as we say? How'd you get hooked to the business? I started watching when I was like six. That's mm-hmm. like uh, 2004. And it was really on and off at the first couple of years because mm-hmm. um, for me, it was more it was more like um, I, I used to be scared of everything. Like when I was that young, mm-hmm. like scared of getting hurt, scared of, you know, scared of everything, scared of pain. Definitely don't. But like, um, you know, like you see wrestlers like Rey Mysterio. Like all the underdogs, you know, they was getting he was getting beat up every week. The great mm-hmm. Kali, freaking Mark Henry, and <laughs> right. you know, he he's getting beat down, but he's taking it like a champion. You know, he wasn't really scared. You know what I mean? Right. And I just thought it was crazy how like you know these people are larger than life. These people, like you know, they facing undertaking it at this time. You know, I'm thinking all this shit real. So it's right, like, right, right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you got these big monsters and all these people, and they fighting them. And they don't even care. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm trying to be like them. Mm-hmm. You know, and the more I watched it, just the more I was immersed in it. And like, uh, like I just, it was the one thing, like I, I used to have so many like little interests, like, and I would like it for a second and then get over it. Mm-hmm. I always find something to be cynical about, but then wrestling was the one thing that just kept my attention. Like once I got it, I never like strayed mm-hmm. away from it. So I knew from like, you know, from an early age that it was something that, was going to be special to me, if that makes sense. I would even imagine myself being like, damn, I hope I don't got to face the Undertaker like one day. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I don't know what I would do, but like, you know, <laughs> stuff like that, it'd be crazy. Yeah, I, I had the same. I started, I watched, I started watching when I was four. And it was like, again, to your point, like when kids, you know, they pick up one thing and then they put it away because they're, they're, they're constantly learning about themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's like when once you're hooked, you know, and be and, and for people that are listening to this show, please understand 
it's almost like if you're if you have your favorite artist or you have your favorite movie star or whatever the case when you get hooked to pro wrestling like it's a different animal man i don't know why i don't know literally and it's crazy now all these years later now when people that i've taught mind you this year i graduated high school 26 years ago and people still refer to me as the wrestling guy yeah, you still watch wrestling. You still, oh, I always knew you'd be in wrestling. I always knew you'd be in it. You know because you used to talk about it all the time. But Thanks. that's the thing. You know what I mean? So like once you're hooked, you're hooked. So I totally get what you're saying. So you said you did. You know, you kind of told football, "Hey, man, I'm done with you." Even on mm-hmm. the semi-pro level, you said, "All right, I'm done with you," and you ultimately chose pro wrestling. So. How did you find the Monster Factory? How'd you get in contact with Danny Cage? <clears throat> Shout out to Danny Cage, by the way. And yeah. how did that all come to be? So, like when I was when I was younger, I like to call myself intuitive somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I, <laughs> I think I got a logistical way of thinking for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was when I was watching, like at my peak, I think um Seamus, when he first came into WWE. He won the championship so fast. Oh nine, yeah, yeah. And oh nine, like it took him six months from when he debuted on the roster to when he won the title. And um, you know, I was just so amazed with it because I'm like, damn, that's my goal, right? I want to mm-hmm. be. I'm getting into wrestling. You know me, you know, as a person, I just want the best that I can, you know, achieve. So Absolutely. yeah, if I'm in WWE, like I want to, I want to be WWE champion. I want to be Universal champion, whatever, whatever. I want to break records, all that shit. Um. And, you know, he went in it so fast. I'm like, damn, he must have a good ass trainer. Like <laughs> whoever he learned from, I want to learn from them. Right. And, you know, lo and behold, you look it up and it, it says he trained at the Monster Factory. So right there it was on my radar. No, and it was in Jersey and I lived in Jersey. I'm like, OK. Um, And, you know, I figured I would like when I'm at this age, oh, nine, I was 11. So I, I figured I was going to go to college, you know what I'm saying? Save up money by the time I'm old enough. I just, you know, joined the Monster Factory and start training. Um, but it didn't work like that, obviously, because life is real life, you know, and they don't prepare you for real life when you 11, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Facts, facts. Um, so, yeah, I was work Like, I was literally playing semi-pro. I just finished the season up. Um, I was still working. Like, uh, I was working three jobs at the time. Three jobs. Like, literally, I would go to work. Dairy Queen, 10 to 2, 10 a.m. to 2, go work security from 3 to 11 and go to FedEx 3 in the morning to 8 in the morning. And it was great because I was never broke, but then I was just always tired. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, and, and I was just sitting doing my security job one day and I was on Twitter. You know, I'm an Eagles fan. Uh, mm-hmm. Chris Long, he had tweeted something and Danny responded to him. And I'm like, Damn, I was like, oh, he's a Monster Factory dude. I'm like, I need to get in there soon. And he was like, all right, we got open ring today. And I'm like, he like, see you at six. I'm like, nah, bro, like, I, I need time to get ready or whatever. And you know, Dan, he like, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? Right, 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 right. Like, to be honest, I get off at three. I can make that trip, whatever, whatever. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I took the trip. And ever since that day, like, it was it was amazing, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I smooth. I you probably seen it in the docu series. I lied about training so I could get in the ring that day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I gave some. I gave Jimmy Dunn a shoulder tackle. 
he sold it so hard. I was like, holy, you know what I'm saying? But like just uh just being in the atmosphere from the second I walked in, like I knew it was the right decision. You it's almost like I mean? it felt like you was home, right? Yeah, literally. Mm-hmm. Like I remember taking a video before I left and I was like, you know, I was like, I think I just made the best decision in my life. Wow, that's incredible. Now, yeah. now like I said, you and I started around the same time. And mm-hmm. I remember when you, you know, you the early days, and for, for for those that don't know, like when you first start training, I mean, you don't get matches just yet. You know, when you're training, you're given jobs. So sometimes you're gonna have to do security, sometimes you're gonna have to sell merch, you're gonna have to sell concessions, you're gonna have to work the door, you're gonna have to do ring crew, you're gonna have to do all these things to learn all the aspects of the pro wrestling business. And it's no different than what they do in developmental at NXT down at the performance center. It's no different. You know, everybody has to chip in and do the, and 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 pay their dues. So I've yeah. seen Bobby literally do this from the time he started training. And that was when I first got there. So obviously in the early part, there were some ups and downs and things like that as mm-hmm. far as life versus you know wrestling. So talk about that a little bit as far as how you were able to navigate through those tough times. Uh, it was hard, definitely, especially in the beginning. Like living in Plainfield, that's that's about two hours from the Monster Factory. Mm-hmm. So when I first started, I had a car, and you know I tried to make some as many connections as I could. But I want to say honestly, probably like two weeks or three weeks after I start, like first signed up, my car broke down. Um, and you know for a stretch it was like I'm trying to get there, but you know ain't nobody I know gonna drive me two hours to practice, you know what I'm saying? No matter how much money I offer them. Right. Um, I'm not taking an Uber because <laughs> I'm not going to be able to get back home, you know what I mean? Mm-mm. It's easy to get an Uber there, but if I'm leaving at 10, 11, 12, it's, it's going to be hard to get home. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I ended up I ended up linking with Jester around this time. This, yeah. is, this is around the first time I met Jimmy DeJester. Rest in peace, Jimmy so, DeJester, by the way, yeah. My brother, man. And, um... You know, like I used to meet him like halfway and then we drive up together and come back. I'll probably take an Uber home. Sometimes he'd drop me off when it's too late or when I was too broke. But it was hard because, you know, like, you know, coming up, coming up from so far, I couldn't come up every day. You know what I mean? And then I see people who start around the same time as me getting opportunities first. And then, you know, I see people who started after me getting opportunities first and you know what I'm saying? Because the resources for them is more available than it is to me. Um, and that's not a knock at them, you know what I'm saying? Because if you take a you as long as you take advantage of the opportunities in front of you, you're doing right by my book. Right. You know what I'm saying? I can't blame nobody for, you know, the situation I'm in or I ever I ever am, but you know, it was disheartening. Like there'd be times where I literally leave like in tears because I couldn't do shit I wanted. I like knew I was, you know, built to do. Right. And Jester would try to like, you know, tell me, Oh, your time's gonna come, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. It's hard to it's hard to accept in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um Except seeing the bigger the bigger broader picture. Yeah, because sometimes, you know, like life get bigger than the bigger picture. That's a that's a, a big thing that people don't talk about in wrestling. Like, yeah, you're supposed to be larger than life here. You know what I'm saying? You see the bigger picture here, but as soon as you leave them doors, you got real life to deal with. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And nobody talks about that, especially at this level. Like, you know, I don't get to go home to, you know, uh, I don't get to get a big indie paycheck yet. You know what I mean? I don't get a, I don't get the super followers. I, I, 
I got a little TV show about me, bro. I'm still, <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? I'm still working. Right. <laughs> you know, still working a, a day job. You know what I mean? So, I, I don't know. It, it was, it's it's a hard struggle, but the, the good moments do kind of make up for it. You know what I mean? And hopefully you just keep grinding until you see, like, better, great moments. Absolutely. Now, I mean, we talked about them a little bit, but I want to take a little bit of a deep dive as far as your relationship with the owner, head coach, and trainer of the world-famous Monster Factory, the one and only Danny Cage. How much of a mentor has he been to you, not just in pro wrestling, but in life in regards to getting you on the right track and and getting you to understand the business of the business and how everything works? Yeah, he's been literally instrumental. Um, I talk about this, I feel like, a lot when it comes to podcasts, but I don't mind it because... You know, like I feel like giving people their flowers, especially while they're here, is so important. Indeed. Um, me and Dan will never agree on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the one thing I appreciate about him is, you know, having so many like, you know, coming from an athletic background, I've had so many coaches. Mm-hmm. So I know how I, I kind of had an idea what to expect, especially, you know, people saying he's a hard ass coach. Like I, I kind of had an idea of what to expect. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um like, I don't know. It's it's interesting, especially someone who, you know, someone coming from, like, my type of background who don't have too many positive male, like, figures in their life. Mm-hmm. It was it was refreshing to have someone like Dan. And I don't really look up to him like a father, but, like, I don't, like, I can, I can kind of see it. Like, you, you know, we're starting to get that relationship where, like, you know, like, I trust him and he trusts me. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I can confide in him. He can confide in me. And it's like, I, I, I like that because, you know, there's times where I feel like I got nobody to talk to. And, you know, when I can rely on someone like, you know, my coach to be there for me deeper than just the ring, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. he's, he's been there when I've, when I've real life felt like I had no options. You know what I mean? There's times I make mistakes and I, I, I like he would tell me he's disappointed in some things I've done, and then you know, like I feel like, dang, I just let my dad down. Even though, mm. like I said, I don't look at him like that. But you get what I mean. It's 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 a it's an interesting uh it's an interesting kind of relationship we have in that sense. But if you listen to a lot of like, especially on the NFL level, because I think it's a it's a lot relatable um, as far as football and wrestling. I think it goes hand in hand a lot. Mm-hmm. You see some of these players and they and they talk about their head coaches when you talk about, you know, whether it's the Bill Belichick's of the world, whether it's the Bill Parcells, if it's Sean Payton, um, Pete Carroll, um, Mike Tomlin, the, the list goes on and on about some of these successful head coaches and how these players like just with utter exactly what you just said about it's deeper than just football. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, or, or in Dan's case, it's deeper than just pro wrestling, where you can literally go to him and talk to him about home life, family life, or whatever it is that's going on in your world outside of the outside of the ring. I think that's important to have because if all of it is is just wrestling, 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 then there's really no substance to that relationship. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if that means you really don't care about me as a human, you just care about okay, if I can do this spot or whatever, and I can you know fill a spot on your card you know mm-hmm. it's deeper than that so i think when you establish those type of relationships with your students you know and and understand that you're in their corner you know it can go a long way and obviously you started to get 
more ring time. You know, I start when I was starting to get my feet wet in regards to the ring announcing, you know, you were starting to do more matches and I was starting to see, okay, Bobby's trying to find, it was those, it was that, that rough, I don't want to say it was a rough period, but I just think that anyone that's trying to do anything in the sports and entertainment realm, of course, there's going to be growing pains and that's a good, and that's a good thing. That's a very, very good thing. So let's talk about some of those growing pains, the the, the sort of the good and some of the opportunities that you had gotten once you started getting some more uh, matches under your belt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was a little awkward at first. It it might have seemed, and I don't know if it really seemed like that to everyone else because, to be honest, once I debuted, um, my popularity kind of skyrocketed from the get-go. Um. And, you know, like, even now, like, people will assume I'm so seasoned when it comes to wrestling. Man, I still haven't even had 100 matches yet. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? It's crazy to think about. I'm like, two, I'm like two matches away, but I'm, I'm not there yet. And it's um, when I first debuted, probably, like, in my first 10 matches was, like, a heavyweight title shot. And, you know, getting to be in the ring with people like, you know, veterans, veterans at that time, like Getty. Shaheen, people like them, they kind of elevated me because, you know, I was just learning so much. But right. but when you try when you try to do it on your own or with people in the same level, you know what I'm saying? It's a lot of growing pains. It was awkward for me because I'm like, you know, like my whole character, Bobby Buffet, you know what I'm saying? That that that's me, but that wasn't me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm a cool, chill dude, and and Bobby Buffet is literally me on eleven now, but right. it wasn't fine-tuned like that in 2020. You know what I mean? Definitely not 2019. Because, you know, the Bobby Buffet back then, he was too caught up in trying to be how, you know what I'm saying? Like how I want to be perceived. Everybody got their character. They want to be when they first come out. You know what I'm saying? It's probably like cooler than how you are in real life. All that good shit. Right, right. Um, You know, and I I had no idea. Like I thought Bobby Buffet was just going to be this big, tough dude. But no, like I could be fun loving and still be tough. You know what I mean? So right. it took a minute to it took a minute to make it click. But once I made it click, I feel like the opportunities just kept coming, coming, coming. Like twenty three hundred, the reality show, the title shot. Like I wasn't even supposed I wasn't even supposed to win the title. And then here I am breaking the record and <laughs> becoming the all time like longest reigning champ. Yeah. I actually remember when you got your very first title shot against Getty. Mm-hmm. And I asked, that's actually in my ring announcer reel. Really? It is. And to say that I was your, I was the ring announcer for your first title shot, you know, that's an honor for me to say. And when I tell you guys, when I have the fact that I've literally seen the growth of this, of this, of this man, it's, 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 I can't even describe it to you on how how good it has been to see this the manifestation and the 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 growth of bobby and um who he is as a talent performer and as a man as a human being and it's it's been great to see so as you were growing and you were you know matches and you know you're getting you're getting your reps and i think that's the the key of 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 wrestling to me is just a lot of reps you know obviously training and you you take what you do in training and you apply it to doing it in front of people and i think that's the monster factory to me it's a really unique situation because 
granted, yeah, you pay dues or whatever the case, but the education that you're getting is just impeccable because you're going to be put on shows and you're go- you get to perform in front of people. You get to make mistakes in front of people. You get to mm-hmm. do all these things in front of people and then you, and you get better at it. And when you keep yeah. getting better at it, and then you begin to find your groove. And even I'm saying I'm speaking from from experience because me as a ring, I I cringe when I listen to my stuff from 2019. Oh my god, I really? Can't even, I cringe because I'm just like, what in the world was I doing? But I wasn't the Derek T. Lewis, the ring announcer that I am now. Not that I'm this great, whatever. I don't. I don't. I'm still the best one I know. I pre well. I appreciate that. I but I mean, but it took me a while. But it took me a while. You know what I mean to get there, and I, and I'm totally and it's again I'm not in a, not training in the ring, but it's the same process. And when you're trying to get good at something, you know what I mean, and just mm-hmm. you, all you're doing is getting reps. You're getting reps. Now, obviously, you know once we came back from the pandemic, and by the way, during the pandemic, um, how did you navigate through that without training? Because Everything was closed at the time. So what did Bobby Buffet do during those, was it seven months that we were closed, eight months or whatever? We were closed from what, March to like October of 2020, something like that. So what did you do during that time? Well, we didn't wrestle. Like, we didn't have, like, you know, physical training. Like, we couldn't touch each other. But there was, there was like, you know, outside of the ring stuff, we were doing, like, workshops, character development, and all that stuff. Um but honestly, the the pandemic was one of those times where, like, you know, it was like one of those big defining moments of my life and career because I was making mistakes left and right. Like, I'm talking outside of the ring. Um, that was I don't know if I I don't know if we ever had this conversation, but on twenty uh, in twenty twenty, I was on trial. I think but, um, we had a very brief conversation about it, and it was just one of those things we we're going to leave on hold. But by means, you have the floor. I mean, shoot, you know, it was, everybody know me as a pothead somewhat, I feel like. Um, but, you know, before it was legal, I got caught up with some of that stuff. And it was, you know, it was, I was facing time time. You know what I mean? It was one of those things where if it wasn't for the grace of God, luck, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for, you know, people trying to be crooked that, you know, karma kind of work out in the way it worked out. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't even be doing this interview right now. Wow. That's how that's how serious it was. I was supposed to do. I had a I had a charge that was supposed to put me on for seven years minimum. Oh my god! Yeah, and I was you know at that time I'm like thinking, dang, my life over, my wrestling career is over, and you know I I I couldn't think about the future. I couldn't think about anything just the present moment because I'm like assuming all this time like I'm on trial for. A good, uh, I was on trial for a good like six months. I'm assuming that I'm assuming the whole time I'm like going to jail for some period. Like the seven year part kind of got kind of got smacked down early, mm-hmm. but from there it was seven years to a year and a half. Then I was supposed to do nine months. Then I was supposed to do six months, and then I ended up just having to pay seven hundred thirty three dollars by the grace of God. Wow, so people are trying to be lucky. Um, and the timing, because you know, marijuana became legal as soon as uh, that twenty twenty one started, and the whole you know we voted we voted in Jersey, so it kind of took the whole basis of my stop out. Um, 
but it was just like one of those mistakes. And I'm like, you know, I was at a low period where I had to think about a lot of things, what I wanted, what I was doing, the path I was taking, the people I was around, just just like a whole inside introspective, like, you know, had to do a cleanup. And, and you know, I think that's like it. It was like the it was like the it was like the predecessor for like one of the biggest redemption stories I've probably ever seen in my life. Like forget like forget like the three to one comeback for the Cavs. Like I'm talking, bro, I'm I was supposed to do seven years and then, you know, I come back to wrestling on the pre-show in twenty twenty one and then a year later I'm the longest reigning heavyweight champion in the history of the school. You know what I mean? So it's just crazy how life works uh, like it really is it's crazy how life works this episode of the dlu podcast is brought to you by goalie nutrition as someone who's used goalie for quite some time i can tell you that they're not only very good but they're very beneficial my favorite are the super green gummies the super green gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins a b12 folic acid and theamine it supports a healthy liver function healthy nervous and immune system digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. Yeah, and I mean, even from the from from afar, or I was kind of near, but afar, I saw the growth with you. I would say post pandemic, and just your rise as you really started to really hone your craft from all aspects. You know what I mean? And then, of course, the life part. I thought, and I and I saw some things just from afar about you were really caring about a lot of things, life wise. And it was making me proud. You know what I'm saying? And mm. to see you work and to see you in the in the people just love you. And that's that's the cool thing about it, man, is that no matter what, like everyone loves Bobby Buffet. People come to see you. And I was starting, like I said, I was I was really seeing that post-pandemic. But of course, you were talking about you weren't supposed to win the title. And I can remember vividly, I think you had got a title shot. And I think it was supposed to have been against um, Steve Macklin, who was the champion at the time. Mm-hmm. And there was something that happened with his flight that, like, for, like for a shoot, got canceled or something like that because he was, you know, he lives in Florida. So mm-hmm. they worked out something. Danny was doing the heel thing, and then he put the title on himself, and then he put the deck, the, the stack, the deck against you. And I um, announced you as the new champion. You won with the spear ribs and. Danny Cage to become the MFPW heavyweight champion. I, and I'm about to get emotional here, but I can remember being in Gorilla and I, after I announced she was the new champion, I broke down because I was like, my little brother just went out there and did it. Mm -hmm. After you told me, you said, man, I'm going to get there someday. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. And I'm just like, you're going to do it. I knew he was going to do it. And you and I was the first person to greet you when you came down. And I gave you probably the the biggest hug in the world because I was just like, man, I was just so, like, so proud. That was a proud big brother moment for me. 
you know, as as a as a as a as a friend, as as a as a, as a colleague, as every as a contemporary, it's just like damn, like it, it, that's the real part of wrestling, guys. That mm-hmm. folks don't understand. It's the stuff that happens behind the scenes. It's the stuff that happens, you know, away from the cameras, away from the fans. That's the real part of wrestling, as far mm-hmm. as seeing someone literally just rise from the ashes and just become you know, larger than life that becomes the better version of themselves. And that was huge to see, you know what I mean? So I just, that's coming from me. And I just wanted you to know that. So what was that like when, when you heard, you know, me and now she was the champion, you became, you are now the heavyweight champion, like literally and, and, and for guys that know, or don't know when in the world of professional wrestling, when they put, as they say, the big belt on you, that's basically the promotion saying that we trust you and you're going to be the fly bearer for our company to sell tickets, merchandise, et cetera, et cetera. So when you obviously you found out, but then when it really happened, what was that feeling like for you? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, as 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 you know, wrestling's predetermined. So, yeah, like, for sure. you know, and. Knowing, knowing, knowing the circumstances like leading up to the match, and I know we're talking about, you know, like in the moment, but I just want to touch beforehand for a second. Like, you know, knowing, knowing everything that was going to happen, Steve Macklin had the belt. He's supposed to face Cheech, Daniel Alexander. And right, I, knew, I knew Cheech right. was going to win, you know? Right. So, like, That's right. This is something we talked about, you know, probably like a month in advance. Um, <clears throat> So then when we went, we we went to a booking together, me and Cheech, and it was like a it was a bunch of factory guys, and he ended up with a concussion afterwards. Um, probably like a week before that show, uh, where he was supposed to face Mac. So he ended up out. And then I remember I was I was literally in the I was on the I was in the hood. I was in the hood. I remember. And I was with a bunch of a bunch of just like my friends from back home. And then right. you know, like Nick Petit called me. He was like, Hey, did you check Monster Factory page? And I'm like, No, why? And he was he told me to check in. I read that I was getting a title shot. So I knew I was winning the title from there. But I didn't want to like, you know, I didn't want to think too deep about it because I'm like, you know, I'm I'm not cheech. You know, say so I'm not right. Daniel Alexander. So I'm like, you know, plans could change, whatever, whatever. But I'm like, okay. You know, in my head, like I knew this was the thing. Then the day of, you know, we do the pre-show meetings. Now, I didn't know Steve Macklin was going to get there until I got there. When I walked in, Dan was the first person I saw. He was like, it's you versus me, bitch. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he started laughing. And I'm like, okay. But then I figured out what happened and all that. And then, um, you know, we talking about it. He told me I'm going to win the title in a pre-show meeting. So I'm like, knowing, I'm knowing this whole time, like, you know, it's going to happen. And But, like, being in the moment, hearing the announcement, Hearing the announcement, ripping the belt off Dan, you know, holding it for the first time, hearing the fans like cheer, you know what I'm saying? It was it's it's giving me chills now. Like I, I was literally crying in the ring. If you did nobody know, nobody could notice. Um, but yeah, it was it was just like a culmination of 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 everything, you know what I'm saying? Like I did it, you know what I'm saying? I came from I came from the bottom, literally my lowest point, but I did what I said I was gonna do. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, there's people who lost faith in me. There's people who never thought I could do it. But at the end of the day, I know what I was, I know what I'm capable of. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I made that shit happen. And that 100%, was 100%, bro. You know what I'm saying? That was like top, top peak moment for me. Yeah. Now, the next month at Turkey Slam, 
you actually debuted your song. And yeah. let me tell you, man, to me, that was the turning point I felt to when we know the Bobby Buffet that we know now. Because you gave us a peek of the fact that you can spit. Like, you can rap, bro. <laughs> you, can, you know what I mean? Yeah. You actually you, did your you. own theme. I mean, hell, guys, John Cena actually, that's John Cena rapping on his own song. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. when did you say, okay, hey, I have to take it up a notch do this song and did you think that it was going to push you further than you thought it could once you debuted that song interesting uh, that's an interesting question that I've never had before Um, so like I don't know I don't know how everybody else goes about like choosing theme music mm-hmm. but for me I always look at I'm like alright this song would sound good coming out this song would sound good when you win because you know like this sometimes it's different Right. Like, you know, what I'm saying they play like different pieces of the songs, like when you win or when you, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying when you come out. And then right. I need a song that sounds like since I'm a baby face, it needs to sound good when I win. Like if I'm winning a title, it needs mm-hmm. to be, you know, what I'm saying it needs to be good for that moment. Right. Um. So I think like my first theme was a little rock theme, but I think it fit really well. It still yeah. fit for, you know, what I was. But I figured that, you know. Since I got a belt now, you know, say I'm the heavyweight champion, I figured I needed to take it up a notch. And I was like, you know, I'm I'm looking at, you know, all these songs out here, but I'm like, nobody's going, nobody knows my vision better than what I got. You right. know what I'm saying? My vision. So I just kind of sat down and got to work. And I, I knew as soon as I won a title, I wanted to do that. Um, and literally the night before Turkey Slam, it was the big defense. And I'm like, you know what? Biggest show of the year. I got my new gear. What's the what's a better time to just like show everybody like the new Bobby Buffet 2.0 type beat? You know what I mean? So, you know, I just and I remember like I remember coming out because I was number one. So I got the theme song. I got to have the whole entrance Um, coming out. I heard like I seen the people bopping. They heads bopping in it, <laughs> and then people came up out, out to me after the match, and they're like, "Yo, who who did your theme song? Or where is it? Can I find it?" I'm like, "Bro, I just made that last night. Stop it!" <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? But then it it turned into a movement. Everywhere I go, they're like, "Yo, your theme song's so fire!" And I'm like, "Ah, right, thanks. I made it. You know, it's it's something it's something real cool. But it's like me. It's something that you know, I put my whole creative vision into." I mean, honestly, man, like every time, you know, you're coming out to the ring, like I, I literally sing the song in the ring under my breath because it's such it, it when it's almost like the song is the definite. If you was to look up the word Bobby, if, if, if Bobby Buffet was an addiction in Webster's Dictionary, that song would basically be the definition of who you are, because you're basically telling the people who you are. Yeah, six feet and three hundred pounds—that's a lot of man. You know what I mean? Like that, <laughs> those little things. You know what I mean? Little, little slick bits that's in there related to food and and you and your personality and the people just eat it up. No pun intended, but you get my point. <laughs> yes, sir. You see how that? You see how I just came out? You know, I, yes, sir. I like that. I like that. You did that. Yeah. But I'm just saying, it's it. People just enjoy it, so it's like there's no. In other words, there's no there's no dead silence when you come out, because yeah. the people hear that 
when he hear the, when he hear that song, he hear the instrumental. They know it's they know it's eating time. They know it's oh, yeah. Bobby Buffet time. Oh, they yeah. know it's they're gonna. They're, I'm telling you, it's it's so cool to see the fans, and then when you come out, and it's just like you the you and the fans just do this. You become one. Oh yeah, it's 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 so pivotal to me. Just that theme, it. it... Man, from the like you said, like as soon as that bass hit, you know, mm-hmm. it puts a feeling in me that's like, all right, time to go connect. You're right, it's feeding time. You know what I'm saying? You know, mm-hmm. from the moment it hit, something serious, something good is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Something, something that, something in that realm. But you know, like you know, you know exactly what you're gonna get when you hear that. Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. Now let's pivot to the docu series. So we're here. Um, the docu series Monster Factories. It's a six part. Um, thirty minute each episode of docu series, and uh, it was like, it was basically a um a production company that followed us around for about a good seven eight months, and just really about the day in the life of our main Bobby being one of the main stars of the show. But of course, it showed a lot of us that are in that are at the Monster Factory, some that are no longer there. But when you were presented with the opportunity, when I'm pretty sure Dan had to talk with you in regards to, hey, we're going to highlight you. Was there any apprehension about it, or were you more optimistic about the opportunity? I think I was more optimistic than anything. I mean, me, you know, like, I first got hit with that idea probably like a month after I won the title. Okay. Um, And it was it was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I mean, sure, I hope. Like I didn't know how it was gonna go because you know I never been on I never been around that many cameras I never been on no docu series so I'm just an ordinary dude from the hood you know what I'm saying so it's like you know I was I was excited but I was hoping that you know I, I got to be in it long enough for it to matter you know what I'm saying um and you know when they told me I was gonna be a focal point I was I was very excited uh I I'm more excited than anything you. Was it anything that would really stop me from doing it? If that makes sense, right? You know what I'm saying. Um, so I just tried to go into it open, and and I mean it was it was interesting though because you know that was my whole my whole reign damn near was on display. You know what I'm saying. So you got to see me mature essentially. You know what I'm saying from from you know me getting my first title and me still having my first you know, scoop of matches to like where I am now. And it's crazy. It's just crazy to look back at that time like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, damn, I, I did so much growing up. Right. Now, <laughs> when were you used to the cameras being around? Was it hard to adjust to, oh, damn, look, there's a camera there now or you, or you mic'd or whatever. Was there, was there any, oh man, here they go again. Or was it just like, ah, eh, this, this, this part of the game. At the time, I was I was I wasn't minding it. Like the cameras, we always had cameras set up during practice because you know Dan he likes to have us practice like we preach and you know we record matches, we record the shows and all that stuff. So right. I'm used to being around cameras, but like you know the mic packs, having to wrestle with them things and being the focal point was different. You know what I'm saying? Because now the camera's not on the whole class. Like the camera's focusing on me, it's following me around for stuff. It was a little different in that sense, but it wasn't in a bad way, if that makes sense. I was never, I would never get annoyed with that aspect of, you know, being on, um, being a part of a docuseries. Right, right. Now, mm-hmm. how vulnerable was it for, was it vulnerable for you, I guess, 
to tell your story and to bear your soul to close to 45 million people, subscribers that are on Apple TV, you know, as far as home life and everything of the sort? Um, it was, it was somewhat vulnerable because if I don't know you, I don't really talk about my personal life at all. Right. Right. Um, like, but I, looking back now, seeing like, you know, like Twitch and Gabby give them, give their stories and, you know, get so deep or how they did. I kind of wish I was more vulnerable because, you know, I hear them talk about, you know, how people reach out to them about, you know, similar things they go through and how, you know, they inspire people. And and for me, you know, that's been my whole goal since I got in this. I want to inspire people. Not only, like, do I want to make a living out of this, obviously, for myself, but, you know, this. I'm sure there's so many people. Like, when I was younger and I got into wrestling, that was how I made friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was not social beforehand. Mm-hmm. I was trying to fit in, you know what I'm saying? And, and the common denominator between me and all my friends was they like wrestling. You know what I'm saying? And that shit gets lost on you as you get older because when I'm in high school, ain't nobody think about wrestling. You right. want to be a wrestler or you corny. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. they're playing football, basketball, or you selling drugs, or you you a gangbanger. You know what I'm saying? Or you you make music or some dumb shit like that. But, like, right. not dumb shit, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's what I understand. But, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder how many people end up giving up on something they really like because, you know what I'm saying, their environment telling them no peer pressure the wrong peer pressure yeah so i'm like you know i want to be that beacon i want to be that beacon for people and you know i wish i would have took like you know more of an opportunity to be even more vulnerable but that's just something i get to keep in mind for the next time i guess yeah because i mean i'll be honest with you like the, the goldie story completely shocked me yeah because when you see goldie now and you see this character confident ripped to shreds i mean takes Mm -hmm. care of his body he does all these things and to see and to find out that he was just a very shy kid from south jersey i'm just like really shy to the point where he didn't want to be around anybody like that shocked me Mm -hmm. so to also he's another person that i i've he was there a little bit before i was but to also see him grow was 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 pretty cool to see too, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what I didn't know during the tape because again, the only time that I was a part of taping was obviously during show days because I'm only required to be there for show days, and I think I came to a couple of trainings just to be there and stuff, just to kind of see you know what was going on, and I didn't know that the 2300 Arena show in Philly was a showcase. I had no idea until I watched the show. I was completely really? shocked. I was like, oh, really? So knowing that this was what it was going to be, was did you feel by being champion and everything else, was that added pressure to you? Or was this more like, all right, this is a this is the, this is another goal that I have to um to obtain? Both. Um like, you know, I'm a big fan of pressure sometimes because, in my opinion, I think I perform well under pressure mm-hmm. um, for the most part. Right. Um, and, I, and I've never been slight on pressure just because, like, you know, whether it be outside things weighing on me or, you know, like self-doubt or other people's doubt, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes every once in a while, you, you know, everybody got to go through self-doubt a little bit. True. 
more more doubt from other people, um, you know, and you know, like get back be against the wall sometimes. I'd be I'd be what was that? Oh sorry, that's not there. Um yeah, like I you know, I was I was expected to deal with a certain amount of pressure. I mean, we in the biggest building that we've ever performed in. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to make sure that as the marquee match, you know, say I didn't make sure we sell enough tickets. But that was one of the biggest things I was worried about. You know, saying 2300 being at 2300 is cool. It sounds good. But like, you know, we're the Monster Factory and we've been in the building for as long as the Monster Factory's been alive. Like, you know what I'm saying? We've been in that building with 100 people, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. So to go to a building where, you know, thousands of people could fit in, I was scared that it was going to be like the same hundred people, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, you know, I want to make sure we sell tickets. Then I got to make sure we perform well because, you know, I mean, people are going to be watching. Then I got to make sure I, the match is good because, you know what I'm saying, I don't know how many. Um, and I make sure the match is good because, you know, there there was there was there was high level people on that car. You know what I'm saying? Bear City Bruiser was there. Steve Macklin was there. Uh, the Ring of Honor, uh, uh, you know, Vinny and um, Vinny and the other the tag, the tag team they wrestled on stable, exactly. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying um, Deanna Peraza was there. Deanna Peraza was there. So you know, what I'm saying I, I needed to make sure that you know we followed. You know, what I'm saying like we got to make sure our match goes crazy. You know, what I'm saying and you know that pressure sometimes it either breaks you or it makes diamonds, and I, I like to think that you know it works for me. Yeah, I remember that day vividly because getting there, like just driving, just driving to the arena, and I'm just saying, like this is this is huge. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting inside. We all went inside, and I could just remember seeing the LED panels with our logo on it, and I completely lost it. I'm like, what the freak is going on? Like, it was like beautiful. this is it was huge. I mean, I just literally I couldn't believe. I said. We're here. Mm-hmm. And it didn't hit me until I got in the ring and I'm just seeing over 1,200 people in 2300 Arena. I said, let's go, baby. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in standing in the ring and, you know, first it came out, I believe it was what? Goldie? Um, yeah. Travis Jacobs. Yeah. Then LSG. TJ came out first. TJ didn't. Goldie didn't. LSG didn't. Yeah. And I didn't know that they were going to have pyro for you. I didn't and either. I, and I looked to the side and I'm just saying, oh my God. I said, yeah. I think it was me and um Ben, the referee. We were just like, you got pyro, man. I, I, I was so excited. But it, 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 it just is like, man, I said, we're here, you know, and to be the ring announcer for that main event. And, to, and and Kevin Kelly put this over strong on commentary when he said, you know, they could have gone with big name, but the fact that these are four Monster Factory kids main eventing their first show at the 2300 Arena says a lot. Yeah. And... I mean, my fault to cut you off. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would say, like, looking back on that, it's so crazy. I had to... Let me just say this too. I I didn't know I was going to pyro either. Um, if you watch, <laughs> if you watch it back and you see my facial reaction, I don't know how good you are at reading lips, but um, <laughs> I saw it 
I was like, let's fucking go. I was like, <laughs> I'd never like cursed on like uh like you know like wrestling camera. Wrestling camera, I, right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? You know, I know it's PG, so you know when I'm when I'm outside, yeah, I can be a little sailor mouth, but like you know, in a setting, I'm trying, you know, be what I'm trying to be. And I couldn't hold it for that moment. I didn't know it was coming. I was I was hyped because I wanted Pyro so bad, but I. I figured, you know, like our budget's not gonna allow for pyro. Um it's interesting, like three months, three months before that, we were at the twenty three hundred, me, Goldie, and a couple other people uh doing extra work, like ring crew friends. I was there. Impact. I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, damn, yo, I love to like it's it's so surreal when I'm there because I'm like, man, I could be doing this right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't mind doing ring crew, but I'm like, I I, I could be in that ring doing what they do right now. Mm-hmm. And then three months later, here I am main event in a card that some of them are on. That was right. a flex for me. You know what I'm saying? That was a big flex for me. Um, damn, that day was so surreal. I remember seeing D'Lo Brown, and it's on the documentary too, um, D'Lo Brown coming up to you. What was that feeling, a former Monster Factory alum mm-hmm. who's been there and done it, who's been on WrestleMania, who's been in, in every show you could possibly think of, who's one of the producers at Impact, is coming up to you to critique your match and tell you how, how good of a job you did. What was that feeling for you? It was great, but it was it was essentially everything I was looking for in that, in that moment. Um, you know, going into that match as big as it was and, you know, the point I've been trying to prove from that moment forward is that, you know, like I'm contract ready. In my opinion, you know what I mean? And I've done some major growth in the year almost that it's been because we're almost at a year. Yeah. And no. this month, it'll be a year since that moment. Um, I, I mean, physically, you know, like I'm a lot slimmer now. My in-ring work, I, I would like to think is a lot better, a lot more crisp. It makes more sense. You know what I'm saying? Um my gear's better, you know what I'm saying? Like my brand's bigger. And 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 I've been working towards it. But that moment, like him coming up to me, you know, saying that I had the raw charisma, like literally an ick an ick factor that you can't like find. You can't train this. You can't develop this. This is something you got or you don't got. Can't teach it. It was can't teach it. It was it was it was it was one of those moments for me that like gave me validation or more more so like uh motivation to keep going you know what i mean mm-hmm. um, and to keep working i hope that one day you know me and d can do some things in the future i've been trying to you know get to impact or in all these other places but you know time will tell and the universe works how it needs to work so i'm not gonna stress it too much absolutely so control what i can control so since the show um since the show um debuted on march 17th um, obviously, I mean, it was in the news wires. I mean, Variety, New York Times, you know, ABC News was reporting on this and not only on their, you know, websites and in their papers, but also, you know, doing interviews. So how has life changed for you in regards to being in the public eye, you know, especially being seen as some of these outlets now? Yeah, I mean, for the most part. It's still business as usual. 
because I don't know how, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe maybe I can explain it, and I know you'll understand because you're someone who grinds so much. When you have something like when you have something you're working towards, mm-hmm. all the outside noise seems almost irrelevant. Exactly, hundred like percent of the time. Right. So, like you know, my daily life is a is a. I don't want to say it's a routine because it's really whirlwind. Like things change so much, and it's it's like rapid things I have to adapt to. But you know, what I'm saying for the most part, wrestling is is going to be as it's going to be. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to grow. I'm gonna continue to rise. Continue to go places. Continue to just try to get out there as much as I can. Mm-hmm. I have I can say that ever since the show dropped, I've I've gotten a lot busier. You know, what I'm saying as far as like bookings go, and you know places I've been, because I haven't really like I haven't really done too many bookings until this year and last year. You know what I'm saying? Like I've been a pro wrestler. I debuted. I debuted in 2019. I didn't take my first out outside booking till like literally uh, November 2021. You know what I mean? Like I'm already two years in, and um, last year I didn't do too much because I had the title. Now that I don't have a title, you know what I'm saying? I'm free to go wherever I want, and it's just, it's been refreshing, you know what I'm saying? To branch out, face the best of the best everywhere, you know what I'm saying? Not just the best of the best in the factory, and and to learn more, you know, I've just been developing in a bunch of different locker rooms, trying to still, uh, trying to give them a taste of what I am, but also try to learn more styles and get better, you know, at putting other things together, because it's different for everywhere you go. Yeah, in 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 every place, not and I work for two other places, and it's everything. Every place has its own identity, and that's okay. Yeah. That's what makes them them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love it because it's interesting to kind of see how I can put together a good match wherever I go. You know, what I'm saying that's the goal. Uh, no matter no matter where I am, I want to make sure that when I leave, like the fans know who I am. You know, what I'm saying, and they they like what I do. So, yeah. For sure. Now, obviously, you know, you said you work for a lot of the other different promotions. Now that your bookings are increasing and that's amazing to see. What's the goal for Bobby Buffet for the remainder of 2023 and beyond? I want to get that contract. Yeah, I mean, plain and simple. I feel like, you know, as much growing as I as much growing as I've done and as much growing as I'm sure I need, like, you know, I'm not gonna say I'm at the level where I don't need to grow anymore because that's just asinine. Right. Um but I, I believe I'm ready to to show people what I could do, like on the bigger stage. Cause, you know, what better place to learn than the big stage? You know what I mean? Get my reps there and then I'll become as big a star as I know I can be. Like I said a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, I said, I said, if you get signed, I said you will be one of the biggest baby faces in the business. You know what I mean? Yeah. If they let if they let you be you and be the Bobby Buffet that they sign, there's no doubt in my mind that you you can be one of the biggest baby faces in the in the in the business on the mainstream level. And you know what I mean? The opportunities can just open up even more. Yeah. Sometimes I'll say things like that, like, you know, like, oh, I want a contract right now. And it sounds so like, you know, far-fetched or just out of the blue or maybe just out of reach. But I said the same thing about the title when I first started. 
right. training at the factory. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, when I was like still in a green shirt and couldn't even do drills, they wouldn't even let me do drills at the camp. I'm like, one day I'm going to have that title. One day. You know what I'm saying? And but like, you manifest what you believe in. You know what I mean? Like, things will work out in your favor if you grind for it. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm going to get a contract one day, definitely. Awesome, awesome. Well, before we get out of here, just want to, if you want to tell the people where they can find you on social media, where they can find you, um, you know, as far as your, your merchandise is concerned, your music, et cetera, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I feel like I'm most active on Twitter, but you can find me everywhere at Bobby Buffet, MFPW, uh, even on Instagram. If you search Bobby Buffet, my, my username is real Bobby Buffet, but Bobby Buffet MFBW will bring you to the same result because I'm the only Bobby Buffet in the world. And if there's another one, they're not me. Um, <laughs> um on every single one of my social media, there's a link to everything Bobby Buffet, whether it's merch, music, booking inquiries. Uh I don't even know what else, but like everything, you know what I'm saying? Literally everything Bobby Buffet, it's there. Um, video links to matches and all that stuff. Um, and I'd love to get in contact with everyone and anyone and everyone because the Bobby Buffet World Tour is kicking off and it's looking so nice this summer, man. I'm going to Canada. I'm going to be eating poutine. You know what I'm saying? I got Coliseum Pro Wrestling this Friday. I like going to Connecticut. I love wrestling in Connecticut. Um, hopefully I get to wrestling open some more because Beyond is a great locker room. Um, and I just want to keep going because I'm hungry for more, bro. Well, Bobby. Like I said before, man, like I said, you're one of the great success stories that I could talk about, you know, years down the road when you're main eventing for whether it's AEW, WWE, Ring of Honor, Impact, New Japan, whatever it is, I can tell people I remember him when and saw him work, saw him grind and earn every opportunity that came his way. I could tell people that. I can verify that. So it's an honor, you know, to have you on my platform. I appreciate you taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule to come, you know, talk to us about everything going on in the world of Bobby Buffet. And man, we'll definitely be talking soon. Definitely, my guy. You know the vibes. You're definitely one person that I can say from the beginning, always been a great pleasure to be around. I do consider you like a big brother to me. Uh, I appreciate that, man. And I appreciate you being along for this journey. And trust, bro, we got so much more to accomplish, bro, in the mm-hmm. future. Absolutely. I can't wait to see what it's going to be like. But, yeah, we got a lot of shit to go. We got a lot of shit to go through in the future, man. 100%, man. Talking soon. Definitely. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the DLU Podcast. Again, I want to thank Bobby Buffet for stopping by and um, giving us the 411 on everything going on with his wrestling career and giving us a little bit of a little bit of peek behind the curtain about, you know, life and the journey that he's on and and I'm wishing him all the best in all that he does. Huge shout out to my best friend, Mr. Jason Lee Mello who turns 44 and as you're listening to this podcast June 8th. Today's his birthday. I can't believe it. We're in our 40s. Me and Jay met Back in 2000, so we actually met 23 years ago. It's crazy to see where life has taken us. You know, we were two very young and eager um, 21-year-old kids, you know, in the uh, Drama Bugle Corps activity. And, you know, 
we just struck up a friendship like right away. And um, he is truly, you know, my best friend, you know, my, I, it's beyond that. He's my brother. <laughs> so, you know, Jay, I love you, man. And um, I hope, um, you and Amanda have an awesome weekend celebrating your birthday. You definitely deserve it. But you can also follow me guys on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the real DT Lou. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash Derek T. Lewis official page. Make sure you look me up there on Facebook. You can go to my merch store. You can get your t-shirts and hoodies at shop.derektlewis.com. And of course, all my music that's out on multiple platforms, you can just look up Derek T. Lewis and you'll be able to see it as well on my YouTube channel. If you look me up, Derek T. Lewis or The Real DT Lewis, you can subscribe there. In addition to subscribing to the D. Lou podcast, which it can be heard on all platforms, on multiple platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and everywhere where you can find podcasts. Well, I'm going to get out of here and just remember this. No matter what you do in life, always remember to make it count. Take care, guys.